So Australia produces a bit over 300 million kilograms of greasy wool every year, but only has the early stage processing capacity to handle about 5% of this. A century ago, there were wool scows right across the country. So inherently, this lack of domestic capacity could now be a major issue for the industry if, say, an exotic disease is found in Australia. So, what's being done about it? Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So just this week, Wool Producers Australia released the final report of the Commonwealth-funded Ensuring a Sustainable Future for Australia's Wool Supply Chain. The intent of the report was to examine domestic and diversified early-stage wool processing to reduce some of the trade risk that the Australian wool industry is exposed to. Wool Producers General Manager Adam Dawes explains the situation. In the 90s and early 2000s, Australia did have a reasonable amount of capacity to undertake early-stage processing of a fairly significant proportion of our clip. Um, At that time, the processing capacity moved offshore to markets that presented lower-cost options in terms of uh, primarily labour and energy costs, so energy in terms of electricity and gas. Um, I guess just looking at the quantum of the risks that we face at the moment, you just touched on foot and mouth disease. If we had an incursion of foot and mouth disease, here on 100% of our wool exports, our greasy wool exports would stop overnight. And that's because our federal government could no longer issue export health certificates attesting to Australia's foot and mouth disease freedom. Now, the impact of that modelled through this report has found that that would have a $2 billion impact on the output of the wool industry in the first year following outbreak. Um, I think everyone will agree that that's quite a substantial risk and one that warrants some further exploration um, as we've done through this report. And that that exploration, that risk mitigation, that mitigating that $2 billion worth of risk extends a little bit beyond the commercial returns on investment that would generally be considered within an individual wool processing enterprise. So, yes, the, the report, I suppose, is an examination across two folds from what you're saying from reducing our, our risk uh, as well as looking into the, the, the commercial reality of early stage processing. So what, what processing capacity did the, re- the report actually examine and uh, what were some of the main findings through that? Yeah, so currently we have the processing capacity to undertake scouring and carbonisation of about 5% of the wool that we produce, so not, not a great amount by any measure. Um, the other 95% that is exported in a greasy form are the ones to which we're most exposed in terms of trade disruption. What the report looked at was a scenario where we could undertake early stage processing of up to 50% of the wool that we produce. So the figure used in the report was processing up to 170 million kilograms greasy per annum. Um, And some of the outcomes of the project, we found that that $2 billion um, impact on our industry would be reduced by $1.1 billion if we could undertake scouring and carbonisation of about 50% of the wool that we produce. So quite a substantial improvement in terms of our risk exposure and something that would be very important in terms of keeping cash flow going to Australian wool growers in the event of an emergency animal disease outbreak. Yes, and uh, also, I suppose, 
the, the 1.8 billion the report also identified as uh, benefiting the the GDP, the, uh, the domestic product here in Australia as well, to 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 um, bolster our own economy. And um, so from from there, Adam, where do you see things going? Because um, you know that's it, it's a very significant uh, outlay of capital for a long-term gain. So, I mean, I think the report suggests itself that there, there, there's some critical knowledge gaps uh, and it's not necessarily commercially very attractive to be investing in uh, a wool scour in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. The report found, I, I think, um, some rough figures that they came up with was that an individual uh, wool scour capable of processing around about 10.5 million kilograms per year would cost about $39.5 million US to establish on a a greenfield site. Um, That's quite a substantial cost and relative to other investments that would be available to prospective investors um, that it doesn't offer, um, I guess, substantially competitive returns. Um, However, there is some scope in terms of the risk mitigation to industry benefits for some level of government intervention, acknowledging that we're talking about industry level and economy-wide risk management, and this is offering options beyond just a direct return on investment to private investors. So do you see this as, all right, let's assume that a, a, a significant wool scour is, is built somewhere probably on the East Coast. Um, would it be used uh, regularly? Do you see it? as being a commercial reality, or do you think it might be somewhat of a desal plant that gets switched on in emergencies? Yeah, I, I think that um, just in terms of basic economics and return on investment, it would need to be an ongoing operation. Um, and, and part of the next stage that we're proposing to look at as part of this work, Marius, is to look at locations of plants, the number of plants, and acknowledging as well that the current global wool supply chain is largely based on scouring being integrated with top making processes Um, based on the competitiveness of scouring and top making in Australia we'd be looking to explore the ability to shift the current supply chain model where top making would become more integrated with spinning operations and somewhat decoupled from scouring and carbonisation so but Part of what the um, what the report looked at was that the base model, I guess, or the, or the base business model that they used for this was a commission-based scourer that was operating uh, 24 hours a day, five days a week, uh, 52 weeks a year. So it wouldn't be – let's hope we don't have an outbreak of an emergency animal disease, but it wouldn't be a great thing uh, to have a plant sitting there effectively doing nothing or operating at very limited capacity for the bulk of the time and needing to ramp up if we had an emergency animal disease outbreak. Um, there'd be a lot of people sitting around doing nothing and consequentially a fairly significant skills gap associated with that. Yeah, that uh, that does make sense. But uh, being a Victorian, I can tell you we do have a desal plant that's not doing a lot. Um <laughs> So is that is that a rea- is that a sort of a a realistic proposition to decouple scouring and carbonising from top making and spinning? Is that is that something that could really happen? Or I mean, obviously the industry's evolved the way it has for a reason. Look, we've I guess we've identified that there are some R and D gaps, and they're acknowledged in the report. And part of the next phase of work would identify what some of those R&D gaps are and to roadmap some investment to address those. Um, 
one example that we've heard anecdotally through the, the phase of work that's just been completed is it's that there's some concerns associated with yield loss in the top making process through fibre entanglement of compressing scoured and carbonised wool. Um, that doesn't exist because, you know, the wool isn't, the scoured carbonised wool doesn't need to be compressed where you've got integration of the top making and scouring processes. So those are some things that we'd need to undertake perhaps some more work on to quantify um, how significant some of those limitations are. Um, what the report's also found is that there are some growth markets that exist. Um, the report emphasised and highlighted Indonesia, Bangladesh, Vietnam and India. Um, if those markets are looking to grow their textile processing to take and process more wool, that would be an opportunity for an enhanced supply chain or an evolved supply chain, perhaps we might refer to it as, where top making is very much integrated with spinning as opposed to the traditional contemporary model of it being integrated with scouring. Yes, it's interesting you, that those um, particular countries came up given that they are countries that um, AWI have been uh, doing quite a bit of work with in uh, in recent years, particularly um, Vietnam. So that's certainly something to, to look further into. Um, in terms of the actual cost of a plant that was uh, could potentially scour 170 million kilograms, I mean, what where does that come from? I mean, uh, it, surely it's uh, it's a massive um, underwriting. Absolutely, and look, I mean, the, what the report found is if again, if we go back and look at greenfield sites, we're looking at about 39 and a half million US for a plant that can process. 10.5 million kilograms per annum under the modelled scenario. So if we pack that out, we're looking at about 640 million US of investment, um, and that's based on peri-urban um, locations. But it is, as you've said, a fairly substantial investment. The next phase of work that we're looking to undertake as part of this is to look at what ownership models could help make this happen. Now, that could be relocation of existing infrastructure and processing capacity, which would lower the figure um, that we've just spoken about. It could be cooperative investment into wool scours, um, and it could be potentially trying to attract foreign investment. Um, we'd still have the local um, or, or the sovereign capacity to undertake some early stage processing here, but that might be foreign companies and that uh, domestic processing within Australia integrates with their offshore operations somewhat. So we're not agnostic to specific models um, and they would be assessed as part of the, the next phase of work that we're proposing. Really, um, like a lot of these reports, Adam, it sort of almost asks more questions than it answers, doesn't it? It's, um, it's, it's really quite interesting reading and a lot of work's been put into it. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of things there. Where to from here? Uh, with this report and I suppose the, the ideology of it and the uh, and also the politics of it, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, Marius, um, it's important for listeners to note that when we put this proposal initially to government, there are always two phases. We've just completed the first phase. Um, on the initial approach, the uh, answer that we got from government was, well, let's wait until we uh, test and determine feasibility before we look at developing a business case. Um, we've now gone back to government with a very strong uh, proposal to undertake the business case or the second phase. Um, so we, I guess we're always, you know, from the outset looking to do it. There's a bit of a, a disruption and a pause, um, but we've very much got a lot of industry partners willing to engage and take part 
in this next phase, um, including, I've got to acknowledge, some fairly uh, substantial um, commitment in terms of resources and such from AWI to assist with the next phase of the project. So it's quite pleasing to see we've got broad industry buy-in to look to um, work out how we can get the rubber to hit the road, so to speak, to enable some of the risk mitigation that's been identified so far. Yes, and I suppose it sort of highlights, um, particularly with the wool industry, how, how sort of segregated it is in terms of knowledge. You know, it, people are, you know, we're the best wool growers in the world, but also there's a lot of technology and knowledge around scouring and carbonising and top making and spinning. And then obviously, then you've got to make the garment and, and, and uh, market the garment and retail the garment. So it's, it's a very interesting industry we're in, Adam, and it's not particularly simple. It's not like uh, um, sheep go in one door and come out as lamb chops the other end. No, it's an extremely complex and interdependent supply chain, and it will be essential that we start to look at our offshore partners as part of this next phase uh, so that there's a degree of comfort and, I guess, a mutual recognition of some of the risks and opportunities that change might present to the to the industry more broadly beyond the farm gate. Now, I can hear Queenslanders shouting at us from many kilometres away, Adam, that there is a proposal, of course, for the black oil, um, the black oil wool scour. Is, does that, in your eyes, have any merit? And does that dovetail into your work or is, is that a standalone, separate commercial uh, entity? Yeah, look, Marius, um, we've been in contact with Mayor Martin um, from the Blackhall Tambo Regional Council, um, acknowledging the, the work that they've undertaken in this space. Um, and I think it's, it's just important to note that whilst we're talking about effectively the same or similar industrial processes, there's different drivers for the reasons that the Blackhall Tambo project was undertaken or is proposed versus what the, the Wool Producers Commission Deloitte report has proposed. Um, Black Hole Tambo, from my understanding, is largely uh, intended to stimulate growth of the local economy through the creation of jobs um, and also through value adding to their local domestic uh, or, or their local regional wool production. Um, you know, they're talking about a single plant in the order of 10 to 15 million kilograms greasy per year throughput. Um, what we really looked at was industry-level trade risk mitigation options and a fairly, I guess, a significantly larger prospect in terms of up to 170 million kilograms. Um, having said that, now that we've concluded the first phase of our report, we're continuing to have discussions with partners in the Black Hole Tambo project to identify opportunities to collaborate with both projects working together as we move into the next phase. So I'd say... We're both dealing with the same beast, um, but from a slightly different angle. Good answer. Um, well, there's been a lot of work into this report. Who should we acknowledge for its for its work, and where can people read it? Yeah, great. Um, look, firstly, where they can get the report, Marius, if um, your listeners want to head to the Wool Producers website, woolproducers.com.au, they'll find a link to the report from the, the front page um, for the next few weeks. Um, but really, I'd, I'd like to specifically acknowledge um, particularly the three wool processes within Australia. Um, I'd like to acknowledge Michelle Wool, based in Adelaide, um, EP Robinson, based in Geelong, 
and Victorian wool processors based in Melbourne for the contribution and support that they've given to the Deloitte team in undertaking this work. And I'd also like to acknowledge the Industry Steering Committee that really helped guide the development and the execution of this project. And that comprised of representatives from Australian Wool Innovation, National Council of Wool Sellers and Brokers, Wool Producers Australia, Austrade, AWEX, AWTA, and the Australian Wool Exporters and Processors. Um, it's been a really fantastic collaborative effort and very much Wool Producers is looking forward to that continuing into the next phase of the project. Fantastic. Well, for now, Adam Dawes, General Manager of Wool Producers, thanks for your time and thanks for having a yarn with us. Thanks, Marius. It's been a pleasure. Wool Producers General Manager Adam Dawes there and no doubt there will be plenty more to discuss on this subject. And on that note, if you've got something you'd like to discuss on The Yarn, drop us a line at theyarn at wool.com. Follow AWI on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But for now, from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for your company.